Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. We conclude chapter 1 and we, we do so uh, with a very, honestly, if I was to be candid with you, a, a difficult passage to wrestle with. Uh, you're going to have to think with me this morning and process along with me because the, the text builds here. It builds to a, a conclusion uh, that we need to understand. And let me just start by, by saying this. If we take all that we've seen in chapter 1, especially oh, in verses 11 through 23, and we see the what I would call to you the the awesomeness of Jesus. If Jesus is as awesome as we think He is, then that comes down at the end of chapter 1 to some very difficult truths for us to, to reconcile. When I say they're hard for us to reconcile because they go against what we think we need and want in life. They go against how we are to gauge Christianity in the truest sense, because we have a problem for many of us. We don't see Christianity in a vacuum. What I mean by that is we don't just come to Christianity without any other life experiences. The majority of us in here come to Christianity, and we see Christianity in the Word of God from very Western, I don't want to say American because we're a diverse church, but with very Western eyes. And Paul doesn't write from a picture of the pursuit of happiness. Okay? He doesn't write to us with a picture of religious liberty. You need to understand that. You know why? Because Christianity wasn't legal in the Roman Empire. It wasn't permitted. So when we come to the, a passage like this, we have, to, we have to take some things off our, the forefront of our mind, and we have to be willing to let the Bible say what the Bible is going to say, apart from life experience. Okay? Here we go. That's why I said I made a couple people mad last hour. It's important in our world that we have standards by which we gauge things. We have things such as scales and rulers, tape measures, pressure gauges, thermostats. You got a thermometer that touched you or scanned you and you came in today. Along with countless other ways in which our society Gauges and measures, whether it's health or numbers and, and the economy and wellness, you name it. There's various ways in which we gauge things. In the passage that Paul gives us here, he is setting a gauge for us. A standard, if you will, about ministry and the preaching of the word or the teaching of the word. Or the way in which Christians are to see themselves as the servants of the Lord Jesus. Paul was an apostle. It is no secret in scripture that Paul had to defend his apostleship. He had to defend not only what it meant for him to be an apostle. But it had to, he had to defend what a scriptural ministry actually looked like. And since there was no full um, 
we call it the canon or full organization of the New Testament scriptures at this point, there were teachers that were bringing into the realm of Christianity various perspectives of doctrines. These false teachers were wreaking havoc in the church as they had been doing since the time of Christ even to now. And so when Paul writes to these Colossian Christians, he invites them to take the the thermometer, if you will, or the gauge, and to examine him and examine his ministry, examine teaching, so that they could look at the church, they could look at the false teachers in Colossae, and they could compare and contrast, they could juxtapose the ministry of the Apostle Paul and the ministry of a New Testament preaching church with that of the false teachers and their churches, if you will, or their, their gatherings, or their life that was done together. The examination is necessary, and it's necessary in your life, because the church and the, the way the Word of God is taught and preached by preachers and teachers, not just pastors, and not even just apostles, but the way in which the Word is presented matters. The way in which we understand the Bible matters because the church and the teaching of the Word and the preaching of the Word is to bring about mature Christians. And Paul's writing to a young church, a church at Colossae, a church that is young and immature Christians, a church that is being led by a man who's not very experienced in the Christian faith, Epaphras. And so, Paul writes knowing that young and immature Christians can often be swayed and enticed by attractive teaching, attractive churches. That's what's happening in Colossae. It's happened in Corinth. It's happening in this letter. At the same time, it appears that the ministry in Colossae is not anywhere near as appealing or as exciting or as attractive as the ministry of the false teachers. See, the false teachers' ministry in churches and teaching was a little bit more appealing. It was a little bit more exciting, maybe. And so Paul writes, and he's trying to combat that. And to be honest with you, the way he combats it, you and I would go, Paul didn't really give any reason why these Colossian Christians would ever want to follow him, so it seems. But Paul makes something clear that I need to make clear to us. The goal of a ministry, a church, the goal of a minister or anybody who teaches the Word of God has never been for me or even this church to be appealing. The goal has always been to show that only Christ is ultimately appealing. I want to encourage you to dig your heels down into that because I want you to love your church and I want you to want to come to your church. But the goal of this church is not for you to want to come here. The goal of this church is for you to want to see Jesus in all His glory. And if all that we do here, whether it's musical or the preaching... My job today is not for you to walk out and say, what a great message. 
What a pastor preached. Boy, I love the way he preached that. The goal is for you to leave and go, what a Savior. What a Christ. What a glorious Jesus. And if I cause you to be swayed by my enticing words, I failed. If this church causes you to go, boy, I just love my church because I love the way they do this or they do that. Or I don't love my church because I don't love the way they do that. The point is not that. It's about Christ. And so Paul is presenting that in this text. He is really, what he is doing here is he is telling the Christians, and really here's the point for you. He is telling you and us and the church at Colossae what really biblical ministry looks like. Biblical ministry is not always ice cream, although that would be great, and and tiptoeing through the tulips and joyful and wonderful and exciting and glorious and mountaintop experience, sometimes gospel ministry has to take us down into the dirty ugliness of a broken world so that we can see it, so that we can see the glory of Christ, and so Jesus can form us to look more like Him. But that's not glamorous. And that's okay. So what Paul does here in these verses is he tells them what ministry is to look like. And I want you to see that. And when I say ministry, I don't mean the abstract view of a church as if everybody else. As if the person over there or the building. I'm talking about the body of Christ that is expressed locally at Ravenswood Baptist Church. This body is being told in this text... If you believe that Jesus is that big Christ that we saw last week, then that now plays out in this church. So let's look at this. First thing I want you to see that Paul describes is a ministry or a church that fulfills the word. Notice in verse 24. Here's how Paul tells us that the word is fulfilled. You ready? Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Here in this passage, the point that Paul is making is found in two places. It's first found in his usage in back in verse 23, which I did not read, where Paul says that he's a minister of the gospel. And then in verse 25 where he says he's a minister. But So it's the word minister And it's then the last six words. To fulfill the word of God. To fulfill the word of God. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm a minister. Or another way that that Greek word used for minister is is translated in the Bible. It's translated as servant or deacon. It literally doesn't mean a preacher. It means somebody who ministers or serves or presents to you. And then it's this. It's to fulfill the word of God. So everything that happens in between the beginning of verse 24 and the end of verse 25 is for one glorious purpose, to fulfill the word of God. Simply put, it's to accomplish God's purposes presented in the word. And you know what Paul tells us? is going to bring that about? Suffering. Suffering. 
He doesn't say that my job is to stand up and preach the word to you, and when I preach the word to you, we'll fulfill the word of God. He says, my pulpit is a Roman prison where I am suffering right now so that the word of God may be fulfilled in you. He rejoices. He says, I rejoice in my suffering. That leads us to see from this text, I want you to see four facts that Paul presents about suffering. And this is where you're going to have to take those, those Western pursuit of happiness glasses off for just a moment. You're going to put some biblical lenses on. And you have to see what Paul says here. Because Paul seems to be crazy. <laughs> he seems to be a fanatic. He doesn't seem to understand what it's like to live in 2020 and to be trying to build big houses and big lives and all this stuff. He says this, these four facts. He says, I rejoice. I rejoice in sufferings. He rejoices in sufferings. Want to accomplish the, and fulfill the word of God. The minister of Jesus embraces suffering gladly. Because he is just that, a minister of Jesus. Don't read minister as pastor. Read minister as you. I read minister as me. Somebody who is to be about the fulfilling of the word of God. Meaning, Paul rejoiced because he believed that suffering had spiritual benefits. Spiritual benefits. How do you see suffering today? How do you see it? Do you see it as the... Do you see it as that speed bump that you didn't see that you flew over and you're angry about it? Right? How do you see suffering? See, Paul said, I rejoice in suffering. And Romans chapter 5 and verse number 3 said, not, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also. And if you keep reading, Paul explains in Romans 5 the redemptive benefits of suffering and tribulation. He rejoiced in suffering. Why would he do that? Listen. You can't rejoice in suffering if your life is about you. You can't. So what does Paul say? Well, he goes on there to say in verse 24, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. For you. Paul saw his suffering was for the Colossian Christians. And this is where all that we teach around here, this is where you begin to tie it together and you begin to have a, a theological framework that gives you a theology of suffering, especially when it's for someone else. And here's what it is. We are united to Christ. As the body of Christ, we're united to one another as well. Therefore, my suffering is never just for me. It's never just for me. So when I suffer, I suffer for you. And when you suffer, you suffer for me. And when you walk through hardship, it was so good this morning at 9 o'clock to have Mrs. Yolanda Pagan was in church with us today after several months after having major neck surgery. We don't understand this because it doesn't always fit with our, our view of life. But when Yolanda Pagan suffered, we all suffered with her. Right? Paul seems to indicate that. That's part of being united in Christ. Because as Romans 12 says, we being many are one body in Christ. So that's the spiritual benefit that Paul's talking about. A believer suffers for the glory of God, and in so doing, believers benefit other believers in their suffering. That means 
My suffering is not only for my good, but for yours. We have a sister in here who's today, right now, battling, battling cancer. Her suffering is not just for her. It is for our benefit. It is for our spiritual growth. It is for our spiritual formation. Her, her aching in her body and that, that, that ugly C word of cancer, when it comes, it reminds us of the brevity of life. It reminds us of how short this life is and how painful it is. But Jesus is glorious. You see, if nobody suffers... We miss out on things we need. We're trying to stop it. We hate it. Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. I rejoice in suffering for you. I rejoice that I don't like Roman prison, but I love it for you. I don't like my pain, but I love it for you. Now, we don't always know what Paul means by this. What's, what is that going to accomplish? There's definitely a spiritual dimension here that we can't always understand that God works in us in our suffering, but He's also working in somebody else as they witness our suffering. As they witness our suffering. This is where it gets a little harsh. Hear me. Don't be selfish today with your suffering. Don't be selfish with it. You might be experiencing something that none of us understand. My encouragement is don't, be, don't make that about you in that moment. Don't just wallow in that. It might, it might be really, really awful, but it's going to benefit a believer. Paul then goes on to say something about his suffering. and He says his suffering was meant to accomplish something in the body. Now here's a, an interesting phrase. And I just don't have time to, to break this down to give you every possible uh, possible meaning that this verse might have. But in verse number 24, he says this, and fill up, regarding his sufferings, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh and for his body's sake, which is the church. Some people would argue here that Paul's saying, well, Christ died, but I need to suffer also. You need both Christ's suffering and my suffering. And what I, what I would tell you is, we absolutely don't believe that Christ's suffering needs any help. It is the finished work of the cross that saves. But here's what Paul is saying. You need that finished work for salvation, but you also need my suffering for your discipleship. You need to see it. Something is going to be accomplished in the body. And by the way, the apostles, their view of suffering was so big. They suffered in likeness to Jesus in a way that others may not or did not. The apostles' suffering and the, the suffering of the early church brought people to Christ. But hear me, the suffering in the early church, why Paul could rejoice in it, it showed the Christian community how to suffer in a way that glorified the Lord. I could go back over the last 12 to 18 months in our church and I could point you to people who have suffered in incredible ways. And you could be willing to go, I'm one of those people. Paul's point here is about this filling up of the suffering of Christ is to say, no, no, my suffering and our suffering was edifying to other Christians. So Paul gives us here something that's a little bit pointed. The fourth fact that Paul's teaching us here 
is his suffering gave a pattern for sacrificial living. Paul's suffering gave a pattern for sacrificial living. Now listen very carefully. This is something we learn little about in our day, sadly. Those of us, people like me, okay, guilty as charged, who are second and third generation Christians, we watched our parents do a couple things. For some in our church, you might have watched a parent or a grandparent leave a country where there, there was not the ability to preach the gospel, and they came to this country, they sacrificed greatly to come to this country so that they could live in worship freely. While many of us grew up as second and third generation Christians, and we watched our parents come from a, an era, a culture, a day when our parents sacrificed greatly for the body of Christ. Man, they took us They took us to Sunday school at 9. They took us to church at 10. They brought us back to church at 7. At church then, boy, the pastor wasn't interested in getting you out an hour. You were there for a couple hours. Then they sent us to youth youth group, and they sent us to youth camps, and they sacrificed and sacrificed and gave and gave and gave. But now, my generation, my era of second and third generation Christians aren't interested in sacrifice. We're not interested in sacrifice. We're interested in the dream that we want to get. See, we lost out on it in some ways from our parents because, boy, we, 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 were, we were drugged from church service to church service. God forbid we would do that to our kids. Right? And what the problem is, is Paul gives the gives Colossian Christians, this young body, a picture of sacrifice. He says, I am rejoicing in my suffering. I am being sacrificed in some way for your good. And so his suffering gives a pattern to us on how we are to sacrifice. We are to sacrifice. But all the data seems to show that it is second and third generation Christians that for some reason aren't interested in the sacrifice that they witnessed from their parents. We've tried to soften so much as Christians that we become anemic because we don't want our kids to sacrifice or to have to sacrifice like we did. But may I remind you, one of the human means that God used to bring you to this point is just that of the human sacrifice of a mom and a dad and a Sunday school teacher and an Awana leader and a nursery worker and a deacon and you name it, who sacrificed for your good. Now, I can't fix the American church today, but I can be an annoying, dogmatic voice in this church of I pray that God forms a people who desire sacrifice like Paul sacrificed. Because Paul's sacrificing like Jesus was sacrificed. See, Christians can't be Christians living living in the light of Christ who only love the glitz and the glamour and the glory of Christianity as it's presented in 2020, Christians who want to look like Christ must be willing to sacrifice. But that's not appealing. That's not appealing. And so we we have become more concerned as people in 2020 
about our needs more than others. About being served and not serving. More concerned with preferences than witnessing. More concerned with self-care than with prayer. More concerned with schedule than community. We're more concerned with comfort than corporate worship. It used to be that Sunday was the Lord's Day. Now it's my day to recover. It used to be that we believed that church and the body of Christ outside of our physical family and their care was the most important thing. But we often, we often sacrifice church and the people of God for something far less eternally significant. And now our question is when we come to church is what's in it for me? Instead of Paul's question. What's in this for Christ and his church? What's in this for Christ? You say, Pastor, why are, you, why are you getting after us about this? Because there is no spiritual maturity, as we're going to see in a minute, without a willingness to suffer and sacrifice. There is none. You cannot grow spiritually while being selfish with your time. You cannot grow spiritually without caring about the community and giving yourself to it. And by the way, that's why, and, and I, won't, I won't say anything, that's why there's been times over the last few months, I'm going to be honest with you, where I have thought, let's chill out with the Zoom groups. It's too much. And by the way, it's too much, meaning there were some that were going to two and three Zoom groups. And then somebody said to me, somebody in our church, somebody younger than me, said to me, Pastor, if you do that, you take away the sacrifice element. We need to sacrifice. We need to give of our time. Paul says, I was suffering for you. I'll give up my freedom in Roman prison for your, for your spiritual good. He goes on to say, in verse 25... Whereof I am made a minister. There, it, there that word was again, that minister. According to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you. Given to me for you. Read those words again. Given to me for you. Let me listen very carefully. Paul simply says the word dispensation is often seen as a time frame, an epic, an era. That's not what Paul is referring to. He's literally referring to dispensing. God has dispensed and given him something. He's administrated something to him. But listen very carefully. Here's what Paul says. I've been given this calling by the dispensation of God for you. Listen very carefully. God has called all of us to follow Jesus. But listen, it's never just for us. It's never just for us. So the, the, the problem with a lack of community is somebody's not getting what they need to get spiritually from you. Somebody's not getting it. We short the body when we don't engage the body. We short the body when we don't sacrifice for the body. See, that's how this works. And so Paul said, no, no, I, I'm, su I'm suffering for you. This is what God has called me to for you. So that the Word of God, to fulfill the Word of God. The Word of God can't be fulfilled in a church where we're going, nope, not me. Nursery worker tomorrow? Nope, not me. Nope, nope, nope. 
Awana teacher? Nope. Sunday school teacher? Nope. Not me. Greeter? Nope. Just want to come and sing. That can't happen. The word of God cannot be fulfilled in a church. And by the way, when the word of God, when this is not happening, hear me, we really don't believe what we heard last week about being reconciled. See, this builds. It's tough, isn't it? I told you, I want to make you happy, but i got to be honest to the word today. We need a little bit of provoking at times. So Paul basically says the church, the church is benefited by his suffering. Let me hurry. Number two, a ministry. Not only is a ministry one that fulfills the word, but ministry is to reveal the glory of the gospel. I'm going I'm to talk very fast here, so listen very fast if you can. He says in verse 26, even the mystery which had been hid from ages and generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Simply put, the idea of mystery here in, in this, this passage about ages and generations, but now it's made manifest. The idea is that, not that mis- mystery is like this mysterious, illogical thing. It literally has the picture in the Jewish sense of the secret plans of God. So the Jew thought and the prophets taught that there were secret plans of God that were going to be revealed in the last day. That the Jew is going to see them in the last day. And he, he, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus Christ is that revelation that God spoke through the, through the prophets and the fathers, but now in, the, in this last time, this last days, revealed himself through Jesus, right? That is Ephes- Hebrews chapter 1. And so what Paul is saying here is, in a Jewish sense, that, that there's this mystery that has been kept from ages and generations, but now it's been manifest. Now you see it, and it's been manifest to the saints, the holy ones. Well, he goes on here and he says, here's what this manifesting looks like. You ready? Verse 27. To whom God would make known, again the idea of manifesting, would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So he gets a little bit duplicating here. He says this mystery that's been revealed to the saints. And now you need to understand, because the majority of this Colossian church is Gentiles, he says the riches of the glory the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, and here's what it is. Here's the, the, here's the climax of this whole passage. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with suffering from a minute ago? Everything. Because the suffering Christ is in you, so your whole paradigm of life is now turned around to, listen, to see Jesus, to see that your greatest need is not comfort and comfortability, it is Christ in you, and that mystery is now available and manifest. So Paul says, boy, Christ in you. That's the message of the gospel, the hope of glory. See, the gospel is good news right now, and that is this, Christ in you. The gospel is good news for your future, and that is this. The hope of glory. It's Christ in you and the promise of glory to come. Is there a grander message in the world than Christ? Is there? I mean, everything that God has done, will do, and is being done and accomplished, is done through Christ. You believe that? Everything 
that God has done, Colossians chapter 1, created. Everything that God is doing right now and will do is going to be done through Christ. That's why the message of a church is only Jesus. But hear me, the message of a church of only Jesus is absolutely offensive. It's offensive. And it will bring about suffering. It will bring about suffering. I got to hurry and track with me for just a moment. When Paul puts these two phrases together, Christ in you, the hope of glory, we discover the right perspectives of the true gospel, and that's this. Listen very carefully. The right perspectives of the true gospel is this. The Christ who is in us by the Spirit, that Christ is in heaven. So our hope is in heaven. Therefore, our present walk in this world with God is one of faith and not sight. If your eyes are open today, you are seeing a mess. The likes that most that have been in this country for a long time have gone, we've not seen anything like what we're experiencing. And the Christian can only navigate that, hear me, the Christian can only navigate with that statement. Christ in you, good news today. The hope of glory to come. The statement is not, the world's better. Things are peaceful. That's not it. That's not the hope. It's Christ that is the hope of glory. And my friends, we're seeing that there's no hope outside of here. So Paul's message and the church's message is that of the glory of the gospel. It's Christ in us. May I just say, when Christians who have Christ in them take that out to the world, they look radically different than anything else out there. So that's how salt and light happens. That's how conversations that need to happen happen. Number three, lastly, he goes on here to talk about not only the ministry that is fulfilling the word and a ministry that is revealing the glory of the gospel, but he says there a ministry that is done in God's power. Look at verse 28. Whom we preach, speaking of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Whom we preach. Whom we preach. Because Christ is the power source. He causes us to preach with singularity the power. But I want you to see how this happens. By the way, that's a, that's a standard early church perspective. And if I had all afternoon, I could tell you where if I track American Christianity, and I show you through American Christianity that we are where we are as Christians in many ways because we got away from the singularity of preaching Christ. And we preach so many other things. If Christ is the grandest message, that is, that is our focus. 
preach Christ here means there's two twofold aspect. We warn every man about judgment to come, warn every man about life apart from Christ, and then we teach every man in all wisdom. The point here is that we preach Christ, you need Christ, or you're going to face the judgment. But then from there, because you have Christ, how does that affect how you live your life? Teaching every man wisdom. Now I'm, I'm rushing through so much of this, but here's the point Paul says here in verse 28. He says, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The idea of perfect in the New Testament always speaks to that of spiritual maturity. Paul says, here's how we're going to present every man perfect, spiritually mature in Christ. We're going to preach Christ. We're going to warn every man. And we're going to teach every man in all wisdom. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. Look at verse 29. Whereunto, he says, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Here's where we get this down to, to even something a little more practical for us. This power, this grand power that is available to us through the gospel, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Hear me. Some of us, we all seem to want that power, but it's not activated in us as we sit and do nothing. This is the problem. The, the power of Christ is not activated in us as we sit and do nothing. But hear me. Paul tells us to, that we receive the power of Christ to become more like him as we labor and strive. But he says, according to his working, which worketh in me. It is that beautiful picture of as we work and live unto Christ, Christ energizes our working. You don't just sit today and go, wow, I just feel like Jesus is energizing me. You might feel motivated. But the Christian who wants the power of the gospel to play out in their life receives that power as they are striving and laboring and working to live unto Christ, to serve the Lord. If you will, to put it in a way that I heard it so much growing up, when we live for Jesus, when we live for Jesus, Jesus empowers our living. Jesus empowers our living. It's actually not complicated. The problem is in this text, we try to, we, we get hung up on the suffering. We get really, really excited about Christ in us. But then we we lack sometimes the understanding of how this plays out. And really what Paul has done is throughout this Colossian letter is he, Paul is masterfully building us to this place where we say this, the suffering of the church and Christians fulfills the word of God in the life of believers, which brings us to realize that it is only ever always Christ in us that is our hope. And when we recognize that, now we're, at, now we're on a trajectory where we can work as Christ works. Work as Christ works. See, this progression is vital. So let me, let me give you two applications quickly. You ready? Ministers and ministries are to work and serve in the power of Christ. They're to preach the same Christ that indwells Christians. And it is the hope of all believers. This will enable us to a life of sacrifice that will strengthen and encourage the body of Christ. If you... If you, if you need to process that, process that. This is the, the role of ministries. Now listen very carefully. Your church matters. 
your church family matter. They matter in your life. The worst thing that could have come in a global pandemic is for us to be away from each other. I'm not talking about public health. I'm talking about spiritual need. This church needs each other. This enables us to a life of sacrifice that will strengthen and encourage the body. Number two, if Christ is in each of us and He is our hope of glory, then we too are enabled to both sacrifice for His church and serve Him in His mighty power. We're able. You say, Pastor, how do I do it all? I don't know that I have all the answers from right now in this moment to tell you how to do it all in your life. I'll tell you this. As you do, God will energize your doing. As you serve your family at home, God will energize your doing. Say, well, I want to be a part of, I want to be engaged with my church family too. Then engage with your church family and God will energize your engagement. See, you don't have to sacrifice one over the other. Our doing is empowered not by us, but by Christ. This is the Christ life, and this is the blessed life, and this is the joyous life lived with Jesus. Now, if you're watching today, and you don't know Christ as Savior, you might think all of this seems chaotic and crazy. <laughs> Why would I ever want to do that? Why would I ever want to serve a Christ who's, who i got to sacrifice? Oh, you don't have to sacrifice. The Christian who looks at Jesus recognizes that Jesus sacrificed for me. I'm free to sacrifice for Him. So if you're listening and you're not a Christian, Simply put, Christianity tells you that this world is fundamentally broken and so are you. And so are you. We couldn't legislate that salvation if we wanted to. This church can't give it to you if it wanted to. Religion can't. Faith can't. Intellect can't. Education can't. This world is so broken that only one means of fixing it. And that is the good news of Jesus. And the gospel is the good news of Christ who entered our brokenness, yet remained unbroken. Went to a cross for broken people. Was literally, physically broken and poured out on the cross for people who were against Him. So that they could be saved from the wrath of God to come to all. To all that are apart from Him. The gospel is the saving news of Christ to a broken world. The gospel is a energizing news of Christ to a believer. Energized to live for him and with him. My friends, we're desperate for Christ. We're desperate for his power. The church and the body play a fundamental role in how that plays out in our life. The church does. May we see the suffering of Paul and the example. May we see the, the beauty of the gospel of Christ in us and may that produce in us a passion to work for Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus if so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. 
If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.